0: We're going to kind of make a little transition in the uh, series that we've been in here in Godonomics, looking at what God has to say about finances. And when we look at it from a a broad view perspective, there are the the three things that we see in God's economy. As soon as my uh, computer guy is back there and not being harassed by people. Hey, you in the back. You ready? There we go. So we see that we have liberty, prosperity, and generosity. We got that. There we go. Okay, we're all back now. It's hard to find good help anymore. Yeah. So what we see here, and this is the key to everything that we have to understand, is God forces us to do nothing. We need to understand that. Now, when we looked at the, and we're not going to get into all of this again, when we looked at the three big economic system, capitalism, socialism, communism, in a true capitalistic society, is the only one that seems to follow the overall principles that God has laid out because two the socialist and the communist takes from you and redistributes it that's not freedom we don't have freedom under those circumstances where you have the freedom to go out there and buy something or do something or work where you choose and then from there you have the ability to gain prosperity and be generous with it you see all of this is predicated off the ability that we have as human beings to earn something and choose what we do with it. Now the one thing that we know is that mankind is selfish. Right? You see it all the time. You never have to teach a child not, or to not share. Right? You never have to. What's the first word a kid learns? Mine. Everything. Mine. No No could be it too. They get that from their mom, though. It's, it's like you, you, you have to teach them to share, not, not to share. If you've ever done this, and, I, and we've never done this in our house, but I know friends of mine that have, and what they'll do with their kids at every Christmas time is say, okay, you guys have a lot. Let's take something and let's give it to those that maybe don't have what you have, right? It's a good thing to do. So you send the kids into their room to pick out the things that they want to give. What do they give? The things they don't like. You've never seen a child say, I just got this new PlayStation. Let me give it to those who could not afford a PlayStation. No, what do they do? They find the Atari that you had when you were a kid sitting in the back of the closet. Here, let's give them this. Actually, those things are kind of making a comeback nowadays because everything's going retro retro. But but you, you we we have this heart. That we, we just, we look out for ourselves. And because of that, we should be doing things to go contrary to that. We should be crucifying the flesh. In a true market economy, in a capitalistic society, that the market will neutralize the selfishness and the evil. In a true market economy. What I mean that is that not with government intervention. We don't have that here today. And so, by doing so, we need to understand that this is the freedom that we have been afforded to us. We have the choice. We can choose to be generous. We choose to be prosperous by the decisions we make with finances. Most money mistakes are not made because of a lack of finances available. It is poor decision making. We get ourselves in trouble all the time. And so because of that, we have to look at this. Now, let's look at this idea of freedom in Scripture. We've read this before, but let's read it again. In Acts chapter 5, remember what's going on here. This is the birth of the church, Acts chapter 2. Then you see them coming together, and they're bringing everything together, and then people were selling off the things that they had, and they were living together communally somewhat. They weren't all living in one big house or one big compound, but they were taking care of the needs of one another. And the reason for this is it was not a time of freedom. It was not friendly to Christianity. You're in the Roman reign With a bunch of Jews that have rejected Jesus. They were the ones that crucified him. And so they are still not looking friendly towards you. You can fast forward ahead a couple of chapters. You watch them kill Stephen because of his testimony. And then you watch a guy named Saul, later to be called Paul, go out with the blessing of the Sanhedrin to go out there and capture all what we call Christians today and bring them in for trial. And, of course, they're going to be killed because of their faith. So they weren't doing it because of just the kindness of their heart, they were doing it out of necessity. So they couldn't just go out and live on their own very easily because there were people that were coming and taking things. So by selling them and bringing them together, this allowed them to all survive. That's the key here. And so Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 verse 1 do that very thing. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife, also being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. They sold off their land, and they kept back some of the money. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a part of the price of the land for yourself? This is the key. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart, You have not lied to men, but to God. You see, it was theirs to do with what they wanted. Some have tried to twist this scripture and say, you see, they had to. They were were doing it communally, and that's what makes everything work. It was always theirs. They had the choice. So they were somewhat prosperous because they owned land. Not everybody did own land back then. Okay? We have an ability to buy it here very easily. I mean, assuming you can come up with the funds, but there's a readily amount available to you. But back then, it was the haves and the haves nots And so to own land and be able to sell it, it was a possession, it was a rarity. And so they sold it, it was theirs to do with what they wanted to do. And when they sold it, that money was theirs. And they chose to bring a part of it. Was that ever wrong? No. It was perfectly fine. You don't want to give it all, that's fine. Nobody's making you. So they had prosperity, but they didn't have the generosity. It gave some, we don't know how much, and ultimately there was consequences for this. And well, okay, so why is that? In Genesis 8, 21, and the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. This is right after the flood. Man's heart is evil. The only way that heart becomes not evil is through a regeneration through a birth in Christ. That's the only way. We are born with evil desires. Think of all the things you didn't have to teach your kids how to do, right? You didn't have to teach them to be selfish. You didn't have to teach them to disobey. You didn't have to teach them to lie. You didn't have to teach them to steal. They do all these things on their own, right? All the time. If you're thinking, stealing, oh, my kid would never steal. I guarantee you, you'll find a a candy wrapper under their bed somewhere. That they got when they weren't supposed to. The, I mean, this is just a reality. We didn't have to teach them things. What do we have to do? Teach them not to do those things. The regeneration of Christ, when we are that new man, comes in. the Holy Spirit begins to take us on a journey where our motives begin to change, because now we're looking at things differently. We're not just doing this because it's right or wrong. We're doing this because, man, God gave everything for us, and I want to be more like him. And I've told you stories about people that were just, they were awful people who have given their hearts to Christ and over time completely transformed to a totally different person that you wouldn't recognize if you had known them before. So we see this idea. That is why that economic system is important, but we need to understand this. is why we have economic systems in the first place. And why the one that we should be voting for, and this is what we talked about last week, is choosing wisely leaders among us so that we can live our faith in peace. That we can practice our faith without worrying about the government intervening. You know, that is a rarity in this country. It is the only country in the world that has true freedom of religion. That we have the freedom to exercise our faith in a way that we see fit. Because of the founding fathers being Christian men who feared God, knew that governments tend to take over and they tend to force things on people. And we shouldn't have that. And so with all of this, we know the heart of man is evil. That when we're talking about finances, and this is where we're shifting, we're shifting into what does that have to do with me and what do I do with mine? All of us in here make a living in some capacity. Whether it be from a job, maybe you're retired and you've got a pension or you've got retirement that you've got set up. Maybe you own a business, maybe you own a farm, whatever. We earn an income from something. So what do we do with that? What is God's plan for us on an individual level to do with our finances? Okay. Now, every church in America, the first thing they're going to say, we give. right? We give to God. We'll talk about tithing and we'll get there. Tithing being a 10% of your income that you give, you bring back to the storehouse, which in our case would be the church. And then from there, the 90 is blessed by God and we live off of that. Sometimes we have to budget in order to do that, right? Sometimes if we're going to be faithful to God in that way, we have to live off less in order to be faithful to what God said, knowing that He'll bring us more and, and increase our storehouses. But what do we do as individuals? Because this isn't today just about giving, but we never ask the question of why do we give? What is the purpose of it? And so as we get into these over the next few weeks, we're going to begin to look at things that are out there. And we're going to debunk some myths and we're going to bring some correction to error because you cannot turn on a Christian television network without hearing about somebody telling you to give them money, right? There are all sorts of things that are out there. Give to me. Give the $50 seed of faith and God will give you $5,000. Or be one of the 47 people to give $98.88. Or all of this other stuff. Send in for your miracle spring water. Your miracle manna. Blessed oil from Israel. There's all this stuff out there. You guys are laughing. I mean, there and there's, oh boy, I can't wait to get into some of that stuff. It's, it's interesting stuff. And the thing is, people do it all the time. Why? we got to look at the motivation. Think about the heart. Where is our heart? Okay? So let's look at Scripture. Let's start in Matthew chapter 7. This has become a very popular verse in the last 10 years in America. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. Now, let's look at this, because what are we talking about? We're talking about money. So, what is the subject of Matthew chapter 7? This is the interactive part of the program, ladies and gentlemen. Judging, right? That's the subject. Do you hear the word money mentioned? Do you hear anything like that? Is money being spoken of here? Because It's kind of an odd place to start. Money's not being spoken about here. Now, this has become very popular because in our culture, we shouldn't judge. We just we allow people to live their lives. We don't judge anyone. We don't judge anything, right? If you read the rest of that chapter, Jesus is pretty judgmental. Oh, you brood of vipers. Like, that doesn't sound like a whole lot to us, but that's like dissing someone's mama today. Like, it's not a good thing. So, judge not, what lest you be judged. all of that stuff, Matthew chapter 7. Well, in order to understand where we're going with this, we need to jump over to Luke chapter 6. Because scholars everywhere will tell you that these this is Luke's account of the same story. Luke being a doctor, he was a Gentile. He was following around Peter and Paul. He, was, he said, I'm, I'm giving you a more orderly account, O Theophilus. And so when we jump to Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 37, what do we see here? It says, judge not and you should not be judged. Now, does that sound like the exact same thing that was just said, that we just read? Absolutely it was. Luke is likely getting his information from Peter here, where Matthew was there. All right, Judge not, and you should not be judged. Condemn not, and you should not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You notice Luke goes into a little more detail here. Every pastor in America will read you verse 38 when it comes time to give the offering. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measured, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Those sound like good things, right? Now, if we're looking at Matthew 7, and we're comparing it to Luke chapter 6, What's the context? Does it have anything to do with money? Well, what does this even mean? I mean, do we ever think about like we read words and we never ask the question, well, "What is that? What is good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over?" Like we don't even know what that means. We just say it because we want it. Like I don't know what you're given, but if it's good measure and you're gonna press it down and you're gonna shake it together and it's gonna run over, that sounds like a very good thing, right? I mean, imagine, listen, we've all been here. You go to a ball game, and you buy nachos, okay? And what happens? They leave space in the cheese hole. That should never happen. But what's an exciting day? When the cheese overfloweth, there is more than enough. That's good measure. Press now, chicken, get them running over. I mean, it's, it's like we want, we, we don't want just some. We want enough. We want more than enough. We want, we want it all together, well, let's talk about this. That term here, good measure, go back to that verse, please. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. That term, put into your bosom, is something that was used by Jews all the time, and that was a term of giving. It was something that God did. But the other term was actually talking about poor people. Because what would happen is, remember the Levitical laws, is that they had to leave the corners of the, the fields alone. That way the poor, and then once the threshers went through, and today we use combines, but let's say the combine missed a row, you couldn't go back and get it. You had to leave it so that those that were poor could come in and they could take something for themselves because they had no way of taking care of themselves. And that was something that God put in as a provision. You know why he did that? Because the heart of man is evil. They should have been taking care of the poor, but he knew that they wouldn't, so he put in a provision that they would have to leave the corners. And then they would have to uh, leave. If they missed something, the thresher missed something, they had to leave it behind. They could not go back and get it. Think about the story of Ruth. That is exactly what Ruth was doing. She was going in there and then was, uh, by Boaz was brought in and said, hey, give her more than that. But what they would do is they would take in these baskets and they would set them up and then they would start filling them and they'd press it down and they'd shake them and they'd do everything they could to fit as much in there as possible. That's what's going on here. It's talking about poor people. Now, if it's a reference, a term used to poor people, is it talking about money? It kind of is, actually. You see, pastors preach this passage as a motive for getting. Because what do we do? We don't focus on the give. What do we focus on? It will be given to you. In God's economy, we give to give, not give to get. Let me say that again. In God's way of doing things, which is always the antithesis to the way of the world, we give to give, not give to get. Think about the motivation. You're going to hear these things, and we're going to talk about these and debunk some of them. I I mean, I know some of you have flipped on Christian TV. Every time, I, I don't have cable at home. I'm too cheap. But when I'm traveling stuff and I'm in a hotel, I always turn on the the local Christian thing. I I do it because for some reason I want to get irritated. I I don't know why, but I'll watch it to hear what stupid things come out of their mouth. And I'm not trying to make it sound as if I have it all together and know everything about everything because I certainly don't. But there are some things that are pretty obvious. And You'll see them say things like, you send us $50 and, as a, and sow your seed of faith so that you can get out of debt. What's your motivation? I want out of debt, so therefore I'm going to give. Are we giving to give or are we giving to get? We are. So if you're believing God for a new car, then you need to sow a seed for that new car. You'll hear stuff like this. Again, what's our motivation? We're, we're trying to get something from God. Now, with God's character, what can we do to earn anything from God? The answer is nothing. You see, giving, to give and not to get, is God's way of thinking. God didn't put this in the Bible and say, boy, I sure, I sure hope my people catch this revelation. He didn't implement giving for His benefit. It's for ours. Think about that. Why do we worship God? Does God need our worship? Was God sitting around one day like, man, I'm really bored. I should make something that I can play with. That they'll worship me. That would mean He lacked something. That's not possible because that is not the character of God. Why do we worship God? It's not for His benefit. It's for ours. Everything that we do when it comes to God is not for His benefit, It's for ours. Don't think that he doesn't enjoy it, doesn't want it. Don't don't misunderstand me. But when we worship God, we are literally laying down our hearts before him and saying, God, you are my everything. Because we have a tendency to follow trends and worship different things, whether we like it or not, because as we've seen before, is that our heart goes where our heart wants to go. And it goes towards things that are pleasurable, things that feel good. What's one thing that feels really good? Eating. It's wonderful. I mean, a big old piece of uh, apple pie or something like that. I mean, you guys know what I'm saying. Like, it's it's. And what do we have to do with that? We have to limit ourselves. Why is that? Because we want to sit on one chair and not two. You know. I mean, it's one of those things that everything in, in God's kingdom He has given on this earth for us. What did He do in the beginning? God created the world for man to inhabit. This was his plan. So we give to give and not to get. We give to build the kingdom of God and expand it. That's why we give. We give because we love God. You guys, we can see this laid out in the Old Testament because one of the things that we're going to debunk And we talk about tithing. Is tithing a commandment? Thou shalt tithe? Or is it optional? You'll hear people say, well, tithing was just an Old Testament principle. I'm going to show you that's not true. That it was given with the law of Moses. I'm going to show you that's not true. You see, the Bible has to be consistent all the way throughout. So this wasn't a new idea. And so let's look at this. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, this is, again, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses is getting ready to die. He's getting older. The people are going to go into the promised land. So he's laying out for them kind of a a one more time, one last sermon, if you will, of what to be prepared for. And you're going to see something here. It says, at the end of every seven years, this is verse 1, you should grant a release of debts. This is known as the Shemitah. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner, you may require it. So in other words, somebody who is not an Israelite in this circumstance, they're not released. They're not under the covenant. Okay, Except when there may be no poor among you, for the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving to you to possess as an inheritance, only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe with care all these commandments which I have commanded you. for I or for the Lord your God, will bless you just as He has promised you. You shall lend, lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. Now let's stop for a minute. Now think about this. They're lending money to the poor. That's what this is talking about. Those who have less is borrowing money from those who have more but underneath the Shemitah laws that every seventh year, not the seventh year from the time you borrowed them, it was a specific seven years. Every seventh year, all debts were erased. So if I borrowed from you and it was year five and I can't pay you back in two years, it doesn't matter because it's released. Don't you wish our banks worked like that today? Think about it. I mean, I'd be every six year going in there like, yeah, I need to borrow a little money. Now, what would a banker do? They'd be looking at that timetable like, uh, I don't think I can lend to you today because there's no way you're going to pay me back inside that 12-month window, right? And rightfully so. I mean, we can understand that, okay, because banks exist to make a profit. And if they're giving out free money, you can't make a profit. Only the government can do that. Verse 7. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in the land of which the Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut off your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Okay, so we're still talking about poor people, right? You notice they're lending to the poor, not giving to the poor. There's a difference. What happens when you give somebody something? They take it for granted. Think about your bratty kids. They take for granted all the stuff that you have. So you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. See, the first thing that we have to deal with when we come to God's economics is we have to deal with a selfish heart. And he just called this. He said, guys, if you look at that time clock when that individual comes up and needs something from you and you have the willingness or the ability to lend to them and you don't because you know they can't pay you back in time, That's a sin. That is evil. We have to deal with our selfish hearts, right? The heart of man is evil from his youth. When it comes to giving to God, when it comes to giving anything, I mean, we're always thinking like, well, I kind of need some of this for me. I kind of need some of this for me, so I can't can't do that. That's number one. Verse 10, you shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved. When you give to Him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. So we have to deal with a grieving heart, right? You should surely give Him. Your heart should not be grieved. When you give to Him, because the Lord will bless you and bless all that you put your hand to. We grieve over our money. We've made decisions financially and we're like, oh. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. The principle here, overarching, guys, is what? We're trusting God. He says, don't grieve over it. Your heart is evil, so you don't worry about it. You're going to lend to that person. It doesn't matter when that debt's going to be released. It makes no difference. And you shouldn't grieve over it. You do it, we'll see in the New Testament, joyfully, because no matter what, God is going to take care of you. Verse 11, for the poor will never cease from the land, therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, and your needy, in your land. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. Now let's stop there. What are we talking about? Slavery. Is it slavery like we see or saw happen in the United States? It is not. Is it slavery like we see around the world today? It is not. This is what we call indentured servitude. So I have money, you have none, you need some, and you're just wanting to borrow some. And so you agree in order to pay that off because you don't have the cash that you will come and work for me. I'll take care of your needs, and you will work for me. It's called indentured servitude. You make that decision for a certain agreed upon a part, a part of year, or how many years you're going to do it is agreed upon ahead of time. And at the end of the seventh year, whenever that happens to be, you are released. So that's what he just said here, right? They're sold to you. They serve six years, and in the seventh year, she'll let them go free from you. Doesn't matter if they paid it off. Doesn't matter what the deal is. You let them go. These people were not treated. They were poorly. They were not whipped. They were basically treated as parts of the family. They willingly entered into this agreement. It'd be no different than if somebody needed a hundred bucks. And you said, "Well, why don't you come out and clean my gutters, and I'll give you the hundred bucks." It's the same principle. So that is what's going on here. It is not slavery like we think of. A lot of times that gets, it's a misnomer, that the Bible is confirming slavery, that it was okay. That's not the same thing. When you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press, from what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. Now, does that sound like the kind of slavery we had around here? Did any slave owner, because slaves could actually buy their freedom, come up with the money to do it, and then the slave owner here in America said, hey, that's great, congratulations, you've earned your freedom, let me send you out with a whole wheelbarrow full of cash to help you out. That never happened. But this is what he was saying here, don't let him go empty-handed. You should supply him liberally, liberally, what does that mean? Just pour it on him from your flock, from your threshing floor, that's the grain and all of that. Um, from your wine press, from what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to Him. Another thing that we do is in this, and you see, is that we develop a generous heart. We've got to deal with our selfish heart. We've got to deal with our grieving heart. But we've got to get to the point that we are generous. And why are we generous? What did He say? I will give you more. You cannot outgive God. Verse 15, you should remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. Why did he say that last verse? Is remember where you came from. Never forget, what, what, what they were in slavery in Egypt, the bad slavery. And what happened when they left? They left with riches. You see, we have to develop a grateful heart. When you are so grateful for what God has done for you, Being generous is a piece of cake. It takes some effort initially. But you think about this. Anytime somebody has gone through something tragically, say a woman was in an abusive relationship where the man beat her all the time, and they've gotten out of that relationship and stuff like that. When they hear about women in a similar situation, it tugs on their heart, and they do more to help those people because they know exactly what they've been through. I mean, I've talked about this before. You know, my wife had had a miscarriage. That was an incredibly painful time for us. And so when I hear somebody that's gone through that, it tugs at my heart because I know exactly what it felt like. When you recognize that you were a sinner fallen from God, that you had no right to be in the kingdom of God, to be in His presence, to be any of the things that God has said, when you recognize what God has freely done for you, How could you not love somebody that's in the same situation you are in? He's saying here, it's like, how can you not be generous knowing that I brought you out of Egypt, and when you came out, you had more than you could even spend? You need to be generous. We have to deal with our heart, because it's our heart where everything starts. It's not our checkbook. It's not how big it is. It's not how much we have. It's what does our heart say? Do you know how many times through all the years, I've, I've been in ministry about 15 years now, that somebody said, he's like, you know, if I had more, I would give. The truth is, you probably wouldn't. Because there's a heart issue. You'll see in the New Testament, we'll get into this, but the lady that brought two mites, and it was all that she had, and Jesus says, she's given way more than anybody else. Because your heart was for the Lord. I am bringing all that I have. We have to recognize that God is the one that provides for us and has given us everything. It's our heart that is the problem. Let's look at Luke chapter 6 again. But let's go back and look at this entire context of what's going on. Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Those are easy words to live by, right? To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. What are we seeing here? The antithesis of the world. God saying, like, love those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. In other words, don't allow your heart to get prideful and say, I'm going to get them. I'll show them because it doesn't matter what they do. Verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners who receive as much back. He's like, yeah, you're taking the easy route. That's anybody can do that. I mean, if I'm going to loan you 20 bucks and I know you can pay it back, hey, well, no big deal. Give me 25. We'll call it good. He's saying it's a heart issue. And it's because we love God that we do these things. Verse 35, love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. In other words, what is this whole passage talking about? Being like Him. Because while we were enmities with God, He sent His Son into the world to die for us. He paid our price. He paid our debts. He has released us from the bonds of Satan and given us righteousness through Him. And because of that, He says, you love your enemies. You bless those who curse you. You pray for those who spitefully use you. If they strike you, turn the other cheek. Because you love them like I loved you. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you should not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it should be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will men put into your bosom. But with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now let's look at this entire thing in context. When we forgive somebody, we'll be forgiven. When we condemn, or we don't condemn somebody, we won't be condemned. When we don't judge somebody for missing it and getting on them and writing their case, the same thing comes back to us. And when we give, we give because we love God. See, we do all those other things because we love God. And we know what He's done for us. And we know that He didn't have to, but He chose to. He chose to send His Son into this world from the very beginning, knowing that we were going to miss it. And yet, He did it anyway. And that when we do all of these things, when we love people like Christ loves us, then it will be given to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. This is the principles of God. This is God Godonomics. It's not just about finance. It's all a matter of the heart. And look what Luke said in chapter 12, verse 34. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So ask yourself this question really where is my treasure is my treasure in finances cuz i would sure hope not you see when your treasure is seeing people come to christ you'll spend a lot more time with people when your treasure is seeing the hurting hurt less and hurt no more seeing the sick be sick less you'll begin to do things and your your heart will be there and you'll begin to go to those people you'll spend more time with people that maybe aren't on your level, spiritually speaking, that maybe they aren't born again. You'll spend more effort there. When your treasure is in the things of God, you'll begin to do the things that God has told us to do. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we loved Him who loved us, even though we were still sinners. You guys following me? See, this all has to do with our heart, all of it. Because we have the freedom to choose what we do. We can be selfish, and we can ignore people, and we don't have to go out and preach the gospel. We don't have to do any of this stuff. We, we choose to do it. But where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And you need to ask yourself this question. Where's my treasure? Next Sunday at that fall carnival, why do we do this? Well, let me tell you why we do it. It's because we love our, our community. And we're not out there preaching the gospel at these kids and stuff. But we are out there showing them that God loves them. We want to create a fun environment where they can come where nothing is costing them anything. There's not a charge for anything. We're spending a lot of money. We do it every year. And we want to love on them. Why do we do that? Because maybe there's somebody there that might be hurting. And we'll have an opportunity to pray with them or show them the truth. And maybe by building a relationship with these people is that they will see us as a city on a hill. That cannot be hidden because the love of God is so much in us. See, we love these people, and we want to just bless them. That's our only motivation. We don't do this for any other reason. You see, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. If your treasure is not on lost people, on people that don't know God, then your treasure is in the wrong place. It's all about Him.